You know, New Year's Eve is a climatic time. New Year's Eve, we start counting down the minutes and the time. Before the clock strikes 12, and a new year begins. And we're excited about it. Sometimes some of our church families in the past, pre-COVID days, would have some people over, and Christians would celebrate together the start of a new year. We'd have a time of prayer. We'd have a time of reading the scripture, rejoicing in a new year, trusting God for a vision for a new year. And we get down to that last hour, that 11 o'clock hour, that 11th hour. It's pretty climatic, isn't it? Watch if we go from 11 to 12 midnight. At 12 midnight starts a new year. That 11 o'clock hour is the last hour of that last year. Look at verse 18, please. John, when he talks about the last time, the word time is not chronos that we see sometimes in Scripture. In this case, it's the word hora, which is the word hour. It literally means this. It is the last hour. John was saying that 2,000 years ago. It's still the last hour. The clock is still ticking. We have to remember, time does not matter to God. Time does not bother God. God is eternal. God, has, God doesn't function under time. God is eternal in everything He does. We have to keep that in perspective. And it says here twice in verse 18, in impressing upon the believers that he's writing to, that it is the last time. And he said, because of the appearance of the Antichrist that were present in his time, he says, we know that it is the last time. It is the last hour. In our study, John has dealt with the matter of fellowship and sin in the believer's life. In our study, John has dealt with the importance of walking in the light and following the commandment of God of loving one another. He has dealt with last week, about the, we saw last week, about the world system and the struggle we have of living in the world and uh, living in the world but not living for the world. And now tonight, he's dealing with a key component of Scripture that affects you and I before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it just seems like yesterday we just completed preaching through uh, First and Second Thessalonians and then recently through the book of Revelation. And now here again in First John, in verses, verse 18, he's mentioning here about the last hour, the last time. He's dealing with the last age. And I don't know about you, but I just think when we see all the forces of things happening, we're dealing with the pandemic. That seems like it's going to be here for a while, and we're dealing with just uh, more governmental control and restricting people's lives and kind of control people's lives and a move towards a socialistic government and all these other things going on in the world. We look at these things that are happening, we kind of wonder in our mind just how the leaders are emerging and things and the philosophies going on right now and the, in the mindset of this world and going away from God and just the violence and things and all the things that we read about that evil men shall wax worse and worse and, and uh, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. We kind of wonder, is is it possible that we're in the last hour? Is it possible that our generation may be the last generation before Jesus comes? Could it be during our generation that Jesus comes? And I don't say that with disappointment. And I don't say that with pessimism. I'm excited. It would be a cool thing. It'd be a great thing if our generation is the generation when Jesus Christ comes for us. Amen? It'd be a wonderful thing if the rapture happens during our time. It'd be a wonderful thing for us to be the generation where the rapture occurs and we go up together to meet the Lord in the air. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. Amen? That's nothing to be disappointed about. That's nothing to be sad about. I mean, to be excited that Jesus is coming. Amen? It's the last hour. Last hour means you don't have a lot of time. The last hour, you were a little bit more alerted to things. 
If it's the last hour, you're thinking in terms of just, you know, you've got to make the most happen in the remaining 60 minutes you have. It's the last hour. It's kind of like a, having a final exam or a big test that you have, and you now, and the teacher, the proctor says, you are now in the last hour. And you know, boy, you got to start moving with some urgency. you got to check your answers. you got to start looking at things. And you pay attention to things more than you would have. And I think that's a good perspective for us to have as we start each day and end each day. And we plan out every week is to realize this could be the last week. This could be the last hour before Jesus comes. And so we have to look at that situation tonight and see what John had to say about this last hour. Now, notice the first thing tonight as we look at verses 18 to 29. The first thing John brings out to our attention are the satanic agents. We are living in a satanically energized world. This is an evil world system. There is junk, and I mean that, junk going on right now that is awful. Senator Mike Morrell has served our state as a Christian, ultra-conservative senator up Northland. Brother Justin and I had occasion a couple years ago to meet in fellowship with Brother Morell. He has done a lot. Our churches are still open in California because of some things he's done in the legislature there. He's termed out. He just termed out. I got his email address. I'm going to contact him. I haven't come to our services. Things start clearing up. You'll be encouraged by Mike Morell. When we sat down with him up in Sacramento, the things that we didn't hear about from like from Save California and other, uh, other groups that are just up there lobbying on behalf of what we're doing, honestly, I don't scare very easily, but man, my, I tell you what, my, <laughs> my hair was standing up the back of my neck as you start to describe some of the potential legislation that was there. He described, listen, he described our state capital as this way. He said this. He said, Brother Fong, he says... This place I am in right now, we sense those Christian senators who I fellowship with and we meet with for prayer weekly. We sense when we walk on this, in this building, there is a very strong satanic presence. He describes some of these laws. And I'm going to tell you right now, it scares me for our children. It frightens me to death, the laws being passed that will affect our children and our futures. I mean, just... The myriad, and, we don't, and this is not to get into political messages, all those kind of things. I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm just saying tonight that he deals with the satanic ages. Now look at verse 18. He begins with that phrase we saw last week, little children. Now remember, I said little children can mean one of two things. Little children can be a general address, which is the word technia, which is how kind of a teacher addresses his disciples. A father addresses his children. He just says, he calls them little children. It's not a term of insult of any kind. He's just addressing it's a general message. Or it could be the word paidon, which the word paidon means those immature ones, those little ones who are lacking in maturity and discernment. And they're kind of like little children who like to play and amuse themselves with whatever that fascinates him. The term that John is using here in verse 18 is the second of those two terms. He's using the word paidon, which describes immature ones. Now, when you're immature, when you're immature and you're not discerning, you're really not paying attention to time. 
You're really not bothered by evil. You're really not bothered by circumstance. You're just going on and doing your thing because your focus is on yourself. Your focus on whatever fascinates you. And he's dealing with believers here that he's just spoken to them and addressed them about the world system and why we should not love the world and why worldliness is a problem. And he ended it off in verse 17 by saying, The world passes away and the lusts are up, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And he starts off by saying, Now, I'm going to switch gears on you. I've dealt with the world. I've dealt with our responsibility in terms of loving the brethren. I've dealt with the fact that we, we have to consider that the Gnostics are teaching their lesser sins and greater sins. There's no such thing as lesser sins and greater sins. Sin is sin before God. Amen. Sin is sin before God. And you can't, you can't say, well, sins of the flesh are worse than sins of the spirit because by doing so, that led them into what we call antinomianism. Antinomianism basically means that they were practicing radical grace or hyper grace and they were abusing the grace of God. And basically, many of these believers were now slipping in a, in a, in a, in a back fashion and living lascivious lustful lives and so John had to correct all that and some of them were living with unconfessed sin in their life and so he had to deal with 1 John 1 7 to 10 he says if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin but he says if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins to him he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness now what John is saying there is listen we have to understand that fellowship with God and a relationship with the Lord and a walk with God is the number one priority of the Christian life. Our priority is to walk with the Lord and to walk in the light as He is in the light. And there be no darkness at all in us because when there's darkness in us, we stumble when, we, when we're in darkness. And so he says there, you might be in sin. So he told, told them in 1 John 2.1, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And so he says, but if you sin, we have an advocate of the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he takes us back to verse 9 and reminds us about the importance of daily confession of our sins. If we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all and righteous. So he's dealing with their relationship with God. He's dealing with the fact that we must be cognitive of sin in our life. And we must be cognitive of the fact we must confess our sin. But he's taking them another pathway now. Because 18 of 29, he starts leading into about false teachers and spiritual seduction. And as we get into this, he's, he's now moving us into a section where he's shifting from fellowship where he gets into chat. We, right where we're at now, leading into chapter 3, and through the end of the chapter, the end of the book, he deals with the matter of sonship. Now, sonship and fellowship are compatible. Sonship is what happens when you get saved. Sonship is what happens when you get saved. Say amen. Amen. First John 1 12. First John 1 12. I mean John 1 12. To as many as received him, to them he, he gives the power to become what? The sons of God. That's sonship. Okay? Sonship brings you into God's family. Sonship means you're his child. Sonship means that you've been spiritually adopted. And once with that sonship, you belong to God and nothing can change that. Amen? You're, you're God, you belong to God. That's wonderful. Now, Christians, Christians, young Christians, immature Christians, they, 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 they have trouble with their eternal security because they think I can lose my sonship. You can't lose your sonship. Not with God. Amen? Not with God. When there's sin... Sonship is not affected, but fellowship is affected. And when we sin, our fellowship is broken, but our fellowship can be restored. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Fellowship can be restored there. Now, he's dealing with all this because we're dealing with believers here that were unsure about certain things. They were uncertain about what was going on in their church. Now, I like to think that we're trying to keep a pretty tight ship here at Heritage Baptist Church. Amen? I do think we're trying to keep a tight ship on Bible preaching and who preaches in the pulpit and what you're being taught 
what happens in our Sunday school classes, all those kind of things there. And, uh, you know, SAP knows this. I, we, we do kind of check around what's being taught. Of course, it's a little bit more limited right now because of the... Um, because of COVID and so forth there. But, you know, I try to get reports, okay, what's being taught, what's happening there, because we're trying to keep a tight ship on what's being taught, because I tell you what, if what's being taught in the class, what's being taught somewhere else, is not compatible with being taught in the pulpit, there's a problem. We're going to see that tonight. Now, you've got to remember, in the early church, you know, they, they did not have, perhaps, those checks and balances and processes we have right now. They had the warnings, but I'm not really sure that those men who were much wiser than me, I'm not really sure they really knew how to deal with this seduction that would come in. And so he starts off here, notice this. He says, it is the last time. And he talks about, in verse 18 and 19, these satanic agents. Now I want you to see some things tonight, because the last hour before Jesus comes is significantly marked by satanic agents. Satanic agents. Notice in verse 18, the first one we read about is a rogue. A rogue agent. It says, it is the last time, and as you've heard, that Antichrist shall come. Now, that Antichrist is only talking about one Antichrist. He's not here. He's not manifest himself yet. He might be here if Jesus comes, but he's not manifest himself yet. He has not appeared on the scene. The word antichrist means the adversary of God. That's kind of interesting. Anti means opposed to or against. Now, this is not the first time God has given us any insight in Scripture about antichrist. Anti-God. Go with me to the book of Daniel. Listen to this. Daniel said, you might want to go to church Daniel so you can read this for yourself and underline it. Look at Daniel. Three times Daniel mentions about the Antichrist. Daniel 7.25. And he shall speak great words, listen to this, he shall speak great words against the Most High. That's Antichrist. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. Isn't that kind of interesting? We're living in time, they're changing times and laws. Who wrote about that? Daniel. Who's he talking about? The Antichrist. Singular. And they shall be given into his hand until time and times and the dividing of time. Look at Daniel chapter 8, verse 25. And through his policy also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Policy. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. What's it talking about? We're talking about the great tribulation period. And he shall also stand up against the prince of princes. That's Antichrist. He's against Jesus Christ. He's against God. We're at Daniel eleven thirty six. And the king shall do according to his will. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. Now this is where you see all these religions during the, during the tribulation period. 
they'll be brought in submission to the Antichrist because he wants everyone to worship him. And as we saw in our study from Revelation, the false prophet will lead everyone to worship him. And part of that, part of that, 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 that will lead to people worship, they have to receive the mark of the beast. And so Daniel 11.36 says here, The king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things, notice, against the God of gods. And shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that is determined shall be done. Hey, Satan is a rogue. He is a con artist. He's total duplicity. He's totally a liar. There's no truth in him, Jesus said. He's a villain. He's an outlaw. You say, Pastor, you're using some pretty strong words. Yeah, because he's an outlaw. He's against you. He's your adversary, the devil. He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking he may devour. Right now, he doesn't like this message. He doesn't like me. He doesn't like you. He doesn't like the fact we've got people watching by live stream. He doesn't like the fact we're exposing who he is. You know why? Because false teachers and antichrist, they don't want to be exposed for who they really are. He's a liar. He's a counterfeit. Read 2 Corinthians 11. We'll get there when we get to 2 Corinthians. He is a counterfeit. He does not authenticate anything. He always counterfeits anything God has done. Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, is God manifest in the flesh. Praise the Lord. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But this Antichrist is the incarnation, he's evil personified, he's the agent of Satan. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. Please turn there. 2 Thessalonians 2. And this... This correlates so well with what John is writing here. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. Now, let me park there on that. Just that very exhortation should encourage us to read our Bibles every day with enthusiasm and expectation that what you're going to get that day will help you not to be deceived. Let no man deceive you by any means. Now, if you're one who's searching the Internet and spending a lot of time there, let me caution you. You're getting your illumination from the Internet and not from the Word of God. Be very careful. Years ago, years ago, and I say this sadly, a young man was coming to our church for a long period of time. Came with his family. Pastor Homer at that time, our founding pastor, and I had met for lunch. And we were talking about this young man. And uh, I had encouraged Pastor Homer. I said, you know, maybe you should go visit him and just help him out a little bit because this kid is on the Internet all the time. And he was one of those kids that was very shy and introvert, at least in appearance, and kind of backwards there, didn't really mingle with anybody. Pastor Homer did, and he went there and he spent probably three hours with the family. He called me up. He says, Brother Fong, I want to chat with you about this boy. And I said, I said what about him? 
he said, man, he's really on the Internet. We've gotten to talk about a lot of things. And as we were talking, he said, I'm really burdened about him. And I said, let me ask you a question. Who's his pastor? Are you his pastor? Or is the Internet his pastor? Yeah. Be careful if you're on that Internet. You're getting your instruction from there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name names tonight. It's not an exhaustive list because I don't want you... Because if I name too many names, you'll start looking them up. All right, you know, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I know how that works. Curiosity kills the cat, amen? <laughs> like these boys right here. I mean, you've got to watch these boys right here, you know? Brother AJ and I pray over you guys a lot, man. I'm telling you, man. Amen. I'm just saying tonight, let no man deceive you by any means. Look what he says there. For that day shall not come. Except there come a what? You know where we get our word apostasy from? Right there. Our day is marked by three things. Apostasy, apathy, anarchy. That's our day. Apathy, apostasy, anarchy. We've got anarchy in our streets. I don't see churches awakening. I see churches getting on the bandwagon, what they call woke Christians. And woke Christians basically are those who are saying, I've awakened to the fact that there are people that are oppressed and, uh, I, I, and they're in denial about their ethnicity, about what they were born. Hey, whoever, whatever you were born with, that's what God wanted you to be. You don't have to be ashamed about that. Good night. Better stop because I got to keep preaching here, amen. But look at his name in verse 3. The man of sin. No, God has a man of God, but Satan has the man of sin. Always remember this Satan is a counterfeit, he always does everything opposite of God. Always opposite of God. He's called the son of perdition. You know, that's what Judas was called. He says in verse 4, Who opposes, that means anti, and exalted himself above all that is called God. Don't forget that. This is the definition of antichrist. Or that is worshipped. So that he, this is talking about what will happen in the tribulation, so that he, as God, now he is not God, but he's trying to pretend he's God, as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, because he wants people to worship him. Let me give you a thought, because I'm just dealing first on this. We're going to move a little faster here, but I want to give you some thoughts here. Now, some thought, if you read over Daniel, Daniel talks about this a little bit here. He talks about the abomination of desolation. Go back to my series I preached on Daniel a few years ago, I think 2017, I talked about, I preached about this. And Daniel spoke about the abomination of desolation, which will happen right around, I don't know, about 163, 200 BC, somewhere like that, when Antiochus Epiphanes would come. Antiochus Epiphanes was a Syrian. 
He desecrated the temple. The things he did were atrocities against the Jews. He offered pig's blood on the altar. That's what's called the abomination of desolation. Pigs, blood, p- pigs are an unclean animal to a Jew. And to put pig's blood there was basically saying, I don't care about lamb's blood, I care about pig's blood. Well, that's the Antichrist mentality. They, 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 he has total disrespect for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Some thought he tied kissed epiphanies with the Antichrist, the atrocities that he did. In Mark 13, 14, Jesus spoke about the abomination of desolation. There were those who lived during those days, according to church historians, that believed that the Roman emperor Calugula was an antichrist. Because he tried to follow the same steps of Antiochus Epiphanes. Over the years, some thought Adolf Hitler was antichrist. None of these wicked men were him. The Bible says here, the antichrist shall come. The thought he's saying here, the antichrist shall come. The antichrist shall come. And he says, even now, there are many antichrists. Now, we don't know who that antichrist is. And don't go on a search and read all these prophetical websites and everything. I wonder if it's this guy or that guy. Hey, listen, back back in the day, back in the 70s, they thought Nelson Rockefeller was the antichrist. I mean, the things that I read back in those days, I mean, there's all this speculation. Get up on this side here. That's why I'm not. I'm a little bit leery about prophecy conferences because you don't want some guy coming in here, bringing all this speculation and telling you it could be this, could be that. I'm going to tell you what. God gave us enough to know just one thing we need to know about, and that is this. The Antichrist shall come. Okay? Because I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm I'm listening for the sounds. I'm listening for the shout. Amen? Okay? Now, he's a sign. He's assigned there, but he's saying there, it is the last time, and he says, so there's a satanic agent, there's a rogue, but not only a rogue, we see a ruse. Now, Satan's a ruse, you have to understand this here, is found right here in verse 18, 19. Because Satan has an agenda. Satan has an agenda. And his agenda is accomplished through his delegates. Notice he says in verse 18, even now, now notice the emphasis on now, even now, he's talking about right there before the turn of the century, even now, there are many Antichrist. Jesus warned about this in Matthew 24, 5 and 24, 11. He said, many false Christs and false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Did you know this? Every cult, every cult that ever started, the cult founder was in a local church like this. They don't make converts by going after new people. They, go after, they make converts by going and looking for the ignorant in churches. The deceit, those who they can deceive and capture and ensnare. And they'll go off on the side there, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, where they can lead you, they'll get you interested in some newfound thought they have, and they'll tell you, they'll twist your mind over a period of months to tell you everything the pastor's preaching is not right, is not Bible, and they'll, pre- they'll, they'll sow seeds of discord there. Before you know it, they've got you all wrapped up in what they're teaching. Paul defined it this way. Look at Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 30. He said, Grievous woe shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Men among us shall arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. I'm just saying today that they, they have their delegates. These, these antichrists are delegates. Now, who are they? They're wolves. They are, they are false teachers. They're wolves. Now, let me tell you some things about wolves real quickly about that. Write this down. There are wolf tendencies. There are wolf tendencies. Now, you need to look for wolf tendencies. Wolf tendencies are they want to be heard. 
They want to have influence. They want to be in control. They want to tell you about a book they read. They want to tell you about a concept they have. They want to tell you, hey, did I tell you what God spoke to me about, about the work of grace in my life? Anytime they mention grace, my, my red, the red flags go up. They want to talk to you about, they want to talk to the wolf tendency. They want to have these secret meetings at their homes or at the home of one of their key disciples. They want to have you over some coffee and things like that. And it doesn't matter if we have COVID. They'll put on their face masks and tell you, hey, I've got, I want to tell you about these new revelations, tell you about some things right there. And so there's these wolf tendencies. But there's wolf teachers. Wolf teachers, he talks about here in verse 26. Look at verse 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Now, how did they get seduced? They had teachers that came inside their flock, that came inside their congregation, and they would say in today's modern terminology, they occupied Sunday school classes, they, under, they, they, they were in control of a small group, they were in control of a Bible study, they controlled something there where they had influence through the platform of teaching. Now, everybody knows this. Teachers carry big influence in the lives who listen to them. They do. Teachers make or break a student. They want to be heard. So they enter through teaching influence. They discredit the pastor's ministry. They cast doubts upon the doctrines being preached. They start attacking things. They get nitpicky about things. And they start discrediting about there's errors with the King James Version Bible. There's no errors with the King James Version Bible. There's an error in your, pop, your process of interpretation. And they'll sit there reading their NIV, ESV, and whatever V they may be with the KJV. And they say, well, what, 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 you know, what, here, you know, and we'll get, we'll talk about it in a minute. I'm just saying here that they have wolf tendencies. They're wolf teachers. There's wolf takeovers. He said in Acts chapter 20, uh, 20 he says, they will, they will draw away disciples after themselves because they want a following. And watch this. Anybody who wants to be heard wants a following. They will not go work and make their own disciples. They're going to steal disciples. They're going after another flock. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. That's why in 2 John he tells you, don't engage. Now, I get, I get a little weary because I want to rebuke people to do this. But they said, well, yeah, Pastor, uh, Job went came to my door and I invited them in. And the Bible tells you, don't invite them in. Don't even bid them Godspeed. Bid them Godspeed, say, well, God bless you. You don't tell them God bless you. You don't tell the devil God bless you. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's false doctrine there. He's, man, I go to doors. I go knock on doors. I see the Job Witnesses literature. I pick it up and take it back and I dump it in our dumpster. I'm helping the cause. I'm recycling. Amen? They draw away disciples after them. You think it's funny. It's not funny. Listen. I've been saved 40, 48 years, I think it is, right, this year. I, I've seen a lot of people get taken away by these false, these false cults. And, man, they're slick. Their literature is subtle. They appeal to the platform of prophecy. They twist words in salvation. They have a way of manipulating words. And if you're not discerning of a discerning mind, you can easily get persuaded by them. But I'll tell you where there's wolf tendencies, wolf teachers, wolf takers, there has to be wolf terminations, amen? There has to be wolf terminations. He has his delegates. Notice his deception. 
He said in verse 26, he says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Hey, these Gnostics got in, false teachers got into the church at Ephesus. You've got to remember, this was a strong church. It was, a, listen, we're on a, we're on a, we're on a, we had a meeting on Friday night and, and we were just, and, 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 and Brother Justice brought, brought this thought and brought a great thought there from Acts chapter 19. And, and we were telling, and, and he was explaining to them, he said, you've got to remember that, that the church at Ephesus, how powerful the word of God was working there, that the word of God influenced several men and the word of God went out through all of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And the Bible says the word of God spread throughout all of Asia in two years. There was great Bible preaching in the church at Ephesus. But over time, these antichrists came in. Now, what does he mean by seduce? Here's what they do. Here's what they do. It's one word. Infiltration. It's infiltration. They'll infiltrate. They'll find their way. Just like wolves, they'll, look, they'll try to look and smell like the sheep. They'll make their friendships. They'll start working their way. They'll work their way around. They're, they've got charismatic personality. They'll work their way until they find unsuspecting people. They find people that, are very, that come across as very truth, uh, trusting. And, but to them, they're very gullible. They're, they're going to say, well, they're very trusting. And there couldn't be anything wrong. And uh, there are red flags that should go up when, they're, when they want to introduce a new thought to you and they want to attack something and say something's wrong here and something's wrong there and something's wrong here and something's wrong there. And they'll attack on that and they'll come across in that, in that fashion there. And so he talks about, he says there in verse 26, these things have I written to you concerning them that seduce you. Listen, he talked, look at 1 John chapter 4. Go to 1 John 4. In verse 1 he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets, many antichrists are gone out into the world. He says there's two kinds of spirits. The spirit of the antichrist is a spirit of error. Look at verse 6. We are of God. Thank God we're of God. Amen. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Listen, you can see where they're at. They don't pay attention. They'll tell you they're praying through the service. They're praying through the service. They basically turned you off from the moment you had opening prayer. They turn you off. They're soaking it up. Because they can't wait because they've already scheduled a lunch after church morning service is over. They've already scheduled a lunch where they've got unsuspecting people coming in. Or they've got a little following there. They bring them in. I'm, I'm telling you what I already know. This has happened. They bring them inside there and they start telling them, they use that lunchtime conversation, start talking about that, and they start attacking something or bringing up some new revelation that they have there or some whatever it may be there. And they do that basically as a methodology for infiltration. And here's what happens. Their disciples come up. They say, Pastor, why don't you, you ought to consider this person and allow them to have a platform because they're telling me some great things. Hey, red flags. Red flags. Really? Why do he send you? Why do he send you? Why do you believe him? And you can tell what goes on because they keep asking the question over and over again. Why don't you give them a platform? Why don't you give them a platform? And you know, and I try to have grace with people. Okay? I really, honestly, I try to have grace with people. Probably more grace than I should. Amen? You know? 
And finally, you can watch when they're here. Back in pre-COVID days, they look at you, man. They turn their, their face sideways and they get all discontorted. You start preaching away about soul winning. You start preaching away about, about sinners needing to get saved and about, about biblical separation. You start preaching about God is God and Jesus, Jesus is Lord. And they start getting discontorted. You can tell they're very uncomfortable sitting in their seats there and they're not listening at all. And they just close their eyes and turn away from you. You know what's going on there. What's going on there? Infiltration. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 13. Read it later on. He talked about, he talked about tares being sown among the seed. He uses a ruse. Look at verse 22. There's a rejection. The spirit of Antichrist is an outright denial, rejection of the deity of Jesus Christ. Let me add to that in this day and age. It's not just a rejection of his deity. It's a rejection of his authority. The rejection of his authority. If you do not, if you cannot, if you have problems with the local New Testament church, I'll tell you, the problem is not with the pastor. Just like the problem with Moses, with, with the two individuals, was not with him. The problem was they had a problem with God. And they have a problem with the authority of Jesus Christ here. So look at verse 22. I mean, John, when he says this, you can imagine back in that day, jaws dropped and people said, I can't believe he really said that. In verse 22, he said, who is a liar? And he just called him a liar. Because an antichrist mindset is a lie. I said, it's a lie. Amen. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the father and the son. Now, I want you to notice this tonight. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, wherever you have heard that it should come, even now already is in the world. Now, I've learned something along the way. This word confess is kind of an interesting thought. He's making an acknowledgement here that it's basically saying, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And I'm going to tell you, brother and sister in Christ, as you're witnessing is so many, it's very important to ask them, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Capital S, capital G. Because you don't know what influence they've been religiously or spiritually speaking. But confessing also is not just saying, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's also, does this person, do they have trouble? Do they have any difficulty speaking about Christ in witnessing? Are they averse to witnessing? Can they even mention Jesus in his name about mentioning? I mean, they're good about inviting people to church. Or do they have trouble? Do they stumble over just saying that Jesus is God and you need to trust Jesus as your Savior? I mean, if there's trouble there, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. Listen to this. To deny that Jesus is the Christ is the master lie. The lie par excellence, the lie of all lies. The Gnostics taught about a spirit Jesus, not a Jesus who had come in the flesh. And the seduction that happened in the church at Ephesus was they, they were so confused they, they, they just were, they, they, they just, they had to be corrected by John about the deity of Jesus Christ. Now the deity of Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. He did not give up any deity. He had no sin. We have to be impressed with the mindset that that's why the importance of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came into this world without sin. He was without sin. We have to remember that because every false teacher, every antichrist has sin in his life. He is a sinner, but our Savior was sinless. 
So it's an outright rejection. They claim that they are Christ. And then notice this here. He said in verse 22, He is Antichrist that denieth the Father's Son. Now, John 14, 1, Jesus said this, You believe in God. Believe also in me. John takes it further. Because now he's dealing with Antichrist in the church. Look what he says in verse 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same is not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And here's the thing. If you deny Jesus Christ as God, you deny God himself also. Your total denial of who God is. That's Antichrist. That's against God. That's why Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? Who do men? And you say, Pastor, this is, we're, we're, we're Bible-believing, Bible, I understand that. But we're also a church that's, that's, that's in the world, but not to be of the world. And we have to remind ourselves that as we're reaching people, some people that you might reach might come from the so-called Christian background. And I'm, I don't want to tell you to be suspicious a little bit there, but you need to be a little bit suspicious there. What are they bringing to the church? They bring a teachable spirit. Praise God. They want to be taught. And I get asked all the time, what about this teacher? What about that teacher? What about this one? This one? I say, well, I've got to read the book. But I say, while we're reading the book, how about this? Why don't you just read the Bible with me and let's see what the Bible has to say about itself. Amen? Notice verse 19. There's a removal. We're talking about the spirit of Antichrist. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Now watch what's going on here. John got involved with the church at Ephesus at a timely moment. And that saintly man who had the love of God in his heart, but the firmness of Baptist, he had the firmness of Baptist convictions, he put his foot down and exposed these Gnostic teachers. He exposed their teaching. He called them antichrist. He called them liars. And as a result of that, he says, he recognized that the believers there at the church at Ephesus were somewhat, um, how should I say, I don't want to say they're grieving, but they, it was, there, was, there was a noticeable absent of people that were in a teaching capacity or influential capacity in the church that were no longer there. I mean, it's noticeable if you're not there anymore. And so, he says, now, I want you to notice these people, these antichrists he referred to in verse 18. He said, they went out from us. He makes no bones about it. They left us. He says, I'll tell you why they left us. They were not of us. They were not of us. He says, because if they had been with us, notice the word he uses there, for if they had been with us, they no doubt would have continued. Not encircle the word continued. They no doubt would have continued with us. Now listen, we saw this in a previous study, and we've seen this in Bible studies and reading through scriptures. One of the evidences of a true born-again experience, one of the evidences that you are truly saved, is you want to be with God's people in the local New Testament church. You want to be in church. You want to be with God's people, okay? I mean, just, now, if you got all mixed up and you're afraid of God's people, whatever, there, you know, that's something we have to work through. But he's saying these people here, they had no inclination being bound with God's people. And when John turned up the heat by exposing who they were and talking about their infiltration, their seduction, these people got uncomfortable with the fact he wasn't going to renege, he wasn't going to change his position, he wasn't going to give them a time of the day, he wasn't going to let them get a, get a pulpit, he wasn't going to let them have influence, he wasn't going to let them mess with their teenagers, he wasn't going to let them bring their hyper-Calvinistic tendencies 
fantasies in. He wasn't going to let them bring hyper grace in. He wasn't going to bring them, have them bring in this thought that you can be saved one day and be lost the next day. He wasn't going to let any of that happen. He said, no, sir, we're not going to have that happen. I'm going to hold my ground. I'm going to hold my position. And he said, over time, here's what happened. If you hold your ground, you keep preaching the word, you keep on being strong, you keep on emphasizing what a New Testament church is all about. He says, eventually what happens, they just leave. They just leave. They just leave. Because if you don't, they're going to take over. They're going to take over. Churches that have apostatized, it's because there was a takeover. They tolerated bad doctrine. Hey, uh, bro- Brother Erwin, did you show that picture in Baptist history to the, the, the AFCers the other night? Did you show that picture? Okay, I sent to Brother Erwin. I showed this several years ago. Uh, Brother Dan Farrell, Brother Erwin, Brother Justin, I had a chance to meet Brother Dan Farrell. We preached with him up in, up in the Philippines several years ago. And uh, we were on the side there. I think it was lunchtime or dinner or something like that, or coffee or something like that. There, Brother Lorena's church. And he said, Brother Fong, he said, man, I, he said, have you ever gone to Turkey to do the, uh, the tour of the seven churches of Asia? I said, no, sir. I said, but I sure like to one of these days. He said, let me show you some pictures here. He showed us pictures of the church at Ephesus. He showed us the roadway that went, led up to the church. Brother Farrell sitting right there in the, in the middle there. And he said, uh, he says, now watch. He says, I'm going to show you some pictures I took of how that great church, apostasy set in. This is the church we're talking about, how apostasy set in. He said, here was the original baptistry where they immersed. Nod your head, you understand what I'm saying? Immer- they immersed them, okay? Now, ba- baptist, baptist baptism is immersion. Amen? Do we agree on that? Okay, anybody have a problem with that? Anybody have a problem with that? Okay, it's immersion. If you have a problem with that, we're gonna, you're antichrist. Amen, you know? Okay, okay. By the third century, pedo-baptism or baby-baptism was now full-fledged in the church at Ephesus. Apostasy. Apostasy. They went out from us because they were not of us, for if they'd been of us, they no doubt would have continued or fellowship or abided with us. In other words, the word continues to they would have abided in the same doctrine, they would have abided in the same church philosophy, they would have abided in this fellowship, but they left us to show that they were not of us. They leave. I've preached more than one hyper-Calvinist out of this church. Amen. Not having hyper-Calvinism in this church. And you should not have hyper-Calvinism in this church. It'll kill this church. You'll be on suicide watch if you get hyper-Calvinism in this church. You get the wrong philosophy, wrong doctrine in this church, it'll kill this church. First of all, they leave because they do not possess salvation and the truth. That's a problem. They leave secondly because they don't want to continue in this. They can't take it. They can't take it. They can't take it. This is why Sunday night service is important. The crowd is much broader on Sunday morning. I'm not trying to say I change the preaching, but it's a much broader crowd. As there's some things like tonight, I couldn't preach this on a Sunday morning because there's, a, there's an element of the crowd on Sunday morning that's, that they're still on the milk of the Word. This is the meat of the Word I'm talking about tonight. Amen? Yeah. Now, we need to get them there. I could preach for his job, but probably not in depth like I would do tonight. Thirdly, they leave because they've stolen the hearts of undiscerning people and take them with them. That's what they do. You say they slip in, they always slip in. Because there's a trust element. They, they manipulate the fact that there's, there's a trust element in church. Listen, trust in churches get manipulated. 
It gets, extor- it, gets, it gets extorted and extracted there, and, they, and it's a problem there. And they leave because they're found out. He says, the point is, they went out from us because they were not of us. Now, we're saying all that, that's, that's all negative stuff. Let's get some positive stuff, amen? Because we see the satanic agents, but notice, God wants to help us. And God does help us, amen? God, God does not leave us there dangling by ourselves. And so, we see the satanic agents, but I'm encouraged tonight, as I read this, that's not where the emphasis is. The emphasis on number two is on the spirit abiding. Because where Satan has his evil spirit, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the real spirit. We have the genuine spirit. We have the spirit of God working our behalf here. He said in verse, 20, verse 21 here, he said that he did not write this epistle because they did not know the truth, but because they know it and that no lie is of the truth. Now let's watch this tonight. Truth is absolute. Truth is no lie. The truth gives freedom, Jesus said. The truth is Jesus Christ. So the help God gives us is the spirit of binding. Notice number one, verse, verse 20, 20, uh, verse 20, 27a. Notice this. He uses two words to help us understand this. Number one, we have the spirits indwelling. And I like how John helps us understand the spirits indwelling. Look at verse 20. You have an unction from the Holy One. That's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 27. But the anointing that abideth in you. The word for unction and anointing is the same word. Now watch this in Scripture. Watch this in Scripture. Prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil. Oil in the Bible is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You can look at Psalms 133. You can look at 1 Samuel 17, when David was anointed. Okay, When a man was anointed, he was set apart. Literally, the word, we saw that today in Isaiah 45.1. You can look it back up. It says of Cyrus, my anointed, my chosen one. Now, the choosing was not for salvation. The choosing is for service. There's a difference. Okay? If you fall for the choosing of salvation, then you're on the platform of the hyper-Calvinist. Choosing where it's used there is for the purpose of God after salvation. And so we get over here, and John uses this wonderful, this wonderful picture, this beautiful symbol for us to understand how we are dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Because when the oil was poured on a prophet, priest, or king, it was saying that he was identified as being set apart as the property of God and being set apart as a servant of God. Now here's what happens. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit indwelt you and he sealed you. And when you were sealed, it set you apart, at least invisibly to the, to the spiritual realm where there's, there are satanic spirits out there that you belong to God. That you are His. The Holy Spirit of God indwells. I know we harp on them all the time, but we must not underestimate this. He that, he that does not have the Spirit of God, listen, if the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you're none of God's. You're none of God's. Romans 8 9. That's how you know you're saved. The Spirit of God lives inside you. So he's talking about here about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He uses this word to, to identify and distinguish the church. Why? The people of God in the church. Why? Because watch this. During that time, the Gnostics were using the word unction to say, we have an unction because we have special knowledge that you don't have. And John says, no, you don't. You don't have a knowledge that's different from us. And you don't have an anointing that's different from us. So he uses this word unction and anointing to say, listen, you are set apart to God. You belong to God. The moment you are saved, you are, you are Jesus Christ's possession. The Holy Spirit of God indwells in you forever and forever. It's a permanent indwelling of the Spirit of God. And that's a wonderful thing that we have the Spirit living inside of us. Amen? You have all of the Holy Spirit. Not only the Spirit's indwelling, but notice verse 27, we have the Spirit's instruction. 
But the anointing which you have received him abideth in you. You need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing is, uh, teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. Even as it's taught you, so shall you abide in him. Now, watch this here. If you look, read verse 27. Let's talk about what it's not saying. It is not saying that you do not need to be under the preaching, teaching of God's word. That's not what it's saying there. Look what he's saying there. He's talking in the context of this Gnostics here. He's saying, but the anointing which you received him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. In other words, that any man corrupt you. He says, why? Because the Spirit of God is your teacher. Now go back with me to John 16. Let's go see what Jesus said about that. In John chapter 16, verse 13, here's what Jesus said. How be it when the Spirit of truth has come. Now, John said the same thing. That there's either the spirit of error or the spirit of truth. Our Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you unto all truth. Did you see that? He will guide you into all truth. There's a way the Holy Spirit, and we'll see this in the next point, where the Holy Spirit helps you to discern, and the Holy Spirit helps you understand truth, from error. That's why you have to be under the preaching of God's Word. If you're not under the preaching of God's Word and the, the teaching of God's Word and under discipleship, you're not going to be discerning. You're going to, to learn to discern from the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation. So he says here, Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. Now there's a couple things here. The Holy Spirit illuminates us about doctrine. The Holy Spirit illuminates us about prophecy. The Holy Spirit illuminates about things to come. But notice this. In verse, look at verse 14, though. This, this is how you know you're being led of the Spirit of God. Look at verse 14. He says here, He shall glorify me. Now, these false prophets, these antichrists, they're not into glorifying Jesus Christ. They're into glorifying themselves. Remember I said earlier, they want a following. They want to be heard. They want a platform that people distinguish them for their influence. But the Holy Spirit, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. As you learn the word of God, you're understanding, wow, that's, that's great stuff that the Holy Spirit is teaching me. This is great stuff that I've learned from the word of God. And it's all about the fact it points back to give God the glory, give Jesus Christ the glory, that he would have glory in the church and that he would have glory in every Christian life. I'm just saying tonight, we have the Spirit's instruction. Oh, listen, tonight, if there's anything we need more of, is to lean upon the Holy Spirit of God to give us instruction and understanding. Listen, if, if like I said, this morning, if you're in a place in life where the Bible is boring and the Bible's not speaking to you and the Bible's not alive, I tell you what the problem is. You've left the Holy Spirit out of your reading and out of your study. Because I'm going to tell you, the Bible is not boring. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible, the Bible does not leave you stuck somewhere. I'm telling you right now, we have to get to that place where we pray the prayer of Psalms 119, 133. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. If you're not practicing it, one of the practices every one of us has, must have at the very moment we open our, the word of God is to get on our knees. And I mean literally get on your knees and say, God, please help me to understand your word. And please, Lord, you promise in your word that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Lord, give me enough illumination so I know where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to get there. And Lord, show me what your will is for me today. And you know what? The Holy Spirit just does that. He just does that. You have to pray and say, Lord, I'm coming beside the still waters. Would you lead me beside the green pastures? Lord, would you, would you feed my soul? But we also have the Spirit's insight. Look at chapter 4, verses 2 and 6. Every spirit, hereby know you the Spirit of God, how the Spirit of God works in our life. This is 2.27, working out in chapter 4, verse 2. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh of God. Now, I, I don't know how to say this without sounding, um, I don't even know the description I want to use. Let me just say this. If you get around 
Baptist church is enough and Baptist preaching, you know the difference from the truth and what is not truth. Because when I'm not around Baptist preaching, I, my first question is that there, I, I, I hear an uncertain sound. I hear an uncertain sound. Baptist preaching. Well, so doesn't every teacher count? No. I'm very narrow. Baptist preaching. I said Baptist preaching. Here's what Paul said in Romans 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Hey, right there. What a term of affection. Because the Spirit of God lives inside us, we can call out to our Heavenly Father, almost literally saying there like, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy, Daddy. Heavenly Father. Dear God. We can call unto Him. And He said in verse 16 here, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Listen, there's something about the Holy Spirit at work in your life and mine. When we're right with God and our sins are confessed and we're under the blood of Jesus Christ, then we can come to God and the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. We just say, you know, there's just something about what Sam Davidson said I can agree with. There's just something about what, 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 uh, what Dean Herring said that I can agree with. There's just something about what Paul Chapel said that I can agree with. There's just something about these preachers that they preach. There's something about, about Terry Unruh when he preaches the pulpit that I can agree with. Why? Because there's preaching under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit. They're preaching, thus saith the Lord by the word of God. Today we have a plethora of false teachers and false doctrines the Holy Spirit gives us insight about. Woke Christianity. They're not even saved. Prosperity theology. The gospel coalition. There's no gospel in it. They're Calvinists. Friendship evangelism. Hillsong Church. What a mess. Remember Brother Rossi was here last year? He talked about Carl Lentz. Remember that? Carl Lentz just got fired from Hillsong Church for immorality. They dug up even more. His immorality was with a Muslim woman. He told her he was a sports writer. Went on for months. He was so full of himself, he left, all, he left a trail right on his, on his computer. People that are full of himself, they always leave a trail. Do you hear what I said? Mega church pastors and writings. Theoretical teachings of Joel Austin, Andy Stanley. J.D. Greer of the Southern Baptist Convention. Tony Evans, watch out for him. He has a watered-down idea of salvation. He has a different idea about the originality of sin. Hey, listen, Romans 5.12, By one man sin entered into the world. There's no problem with that. And sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death is passed upon all men. All sin. But he has a different theology about the originality of sin. Listen, when you start changing and messing with the Word of God, and you've got your own theology out there, you just kind of classify yourself as someone who's got some weird ideas out there. And I tell you where part of the problem is they study the early church father. Don't study the early church father. Just study the word of God. Francis Chan, who now he's confused about whether or not transubstantiation should really be accepted by the, by the, by the, by the local church. God, God help us there. These guys have a following. People buy their books and their, their, their tapes and things. They listen to them. And so listen, these guys shift somewhere, their followers shift with them. That's what happens there. 
Listen to this. They portray a Jesus who is cool, not a Jesus who is Christ. They portray a Jesus who is trendy, but not a Jesus who is truth. They portray a Jesus who is good, but not a Jesus who is God. They portray a Jesus who is convenient, but not a Jesus who is convicting. Listen to this tonight. To present Jesus Christ in any form or fashion other than He is in the Word of God is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. Now, if you have a different idea of Jesus Christ, you need to get right with God tonight. Whether you're on the Internet or right around here, you need to get right with God. If you've got any other idea about who Jesus Christ is, because He's Lord. He's Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That anointing abideth that remains in you, you shall abide in Him. Holy Spirit teaches all things. Thank God God helps us. We see the satanic agents, we see the spirit abiding, but notice one last thing. Would you go down to verses 20 and 29? In verse 28, he, he goes back to a phrase he used earlier. He said, and now. He said, now I've told you the problem. I've told you how God helps us. And now. Because you know what? These believers are shaken up. They're shaken up by the fact that they've been infiltrated. They've been shaken by the fact that they've been listening to teaching that has denied Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and realizing that they have some colleagues and people around them that not only are not saved, they have not believed that they accept Jesus as Christ and Jesus as Savior, but now realizing they're not saved, they do not accept God, God himself, they do not accept Jesus Christ, and they're very concerned about friends they had and teachers that they followed that have left them, they're no longer there because John and the preachers there have held the line, they've kept the tight ship, they've kept preaching the Word of God, they've kept right on the Word of God, Kept right on doctrine there and keep preaching strong. And so they're concerned. So he realizes, he can imagine, as he's writing this letter to all these believers, that they're heartbroken, they're disturbed, they're scared, they're fearful, they're thinking, they're thinking like some widow woman there, well, what am I going to do, Pastor John? I mean, this, this is, listen, you know, how am I going to know what's going on there? And what am I going to do with my life? And they're thinking about all the time that they wasted and they're thinking about what they did wrong and they thought about, man, I should have never followed that guy. And man, I should have just, I should have written to the Apostle John and said, John, what do I do about the situation? I mean, they're bothered because they feel like, you know, I've been duped, and you know, you know what the feeling is. If you've ever been duped, you've ever been deceived by someone, it's just a terrible feeling to have. They feel like we've been cheated, we've been deceived, and we're not sure who to trust and what to do. And I'll tell you honestly, they were in a place where they kind of felt like someone got disillusioned. The greatest problem in our Christian movement about a Christ, the, the church of the living God today is God's people getting disillusioned because of disappointments and because of problems and because of a failed pastor and a failed Sunday school teacher and a failed movement. And that's the problem with these young fundamentals today that they don't realize that everything they're doing is they're pushing all the good things away, that they're going in the opposite direction. They forget that these things go in cycle, but they got so disillusioned because there was a, a movement at one time that was too, uh, too authoritarian and a, a movement that was just, just that, you know, they didn't have grace in their hearts and they may be right about that, but that doesn't mean that the doctrine was wrong. They're disillusioned. They're distracted. And so he says, now, little children, he changes the tone now. Because now, it's not little children that are immature, as he said in verse 18. It's little children as a whole. He's talking to the whole congregation. He said, listen, I've exposed the false teachers. I've told you all about them. I've told you about the Antichrist that shall come and the Antichrist that are here. And he says, no, I don't want to change my tone, but the Antichrist is still coming. The Antichrist shall come. But listen, as he gets to verse 28, he says, listen, let's not have to worry about the Antichrist anymore. He's going to come, but there's another coming I want you to know about. There's another coming that's more important. And that another coming is Jesus Christ is coming. Amen. Jesus Christ is coming. 
Yeah, there'll be a falling away and there'll be an apostasy, but Jesus is coming again. Focus on right now. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be shamed before his coming. Now, let me give you some things tonight as we close off, because what he's telling us here, as he's instructing us about the satanic agents and about the spirit abiding. Listen, John sits down here as a methodical teacher, as a spirit-filled man of God. And he says, let me give you a strategic admonition about how to live in this last hour for Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you the same thing tonight. Church of the living God and Heritage Baptist Church, God gives us strategic admonition how to live in this last hour before Jesus comes again. Number one, would you look at verse 28? Don't stray from your fellowship. Would you notice the recurrence of these words? And I think John was the only one listening to Jesus when he gave John 15. Abide. Continue. He uses these words, in fact, in this whole section, he uses abide, continue, remain. Look at verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. Now he said, listen, if you got ingrained and got taught right, everything you got taught was right. During the 90s, during the late 80s and 90s, churches that were once sound changed Because a new pastor came in, and he didn't follow 1 John 2.24. He said, we've got to change this. And what John is saying, you don't need to change the church. You don't need to change the translation of your Bible. You don't need to change even the preaching. He says, let that therefore abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. The beginning was the beginning of that church, the beginning of their conversion. Let that therefore continue or remain in you which you've heard from the beginning. Let that which you've heard from the beginning shall remain. It's the same word, the same, the word mino. The word mino is abide and remain and continue. He says, if that which you've heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son of the Father. He said, listen, I know you're scared. And I know you're worried because you don't, you don't feel like your doctor is sound. But he says, just stay with the stuff. Amen? That's what he's saying there. Stay with the stuff. Stay with the doctrine of your pastor. Stay with the doctrine of the Word of God. Just stay by the old paths, therefore. He says, because if you stay in them, he says in verse 24, if, the, if that which remains in you, you shall continue. He says, your fellowship will be unbroken with God. So he's telling us, don't stray from your fellowship. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 13 to 14. He says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, even as I've told you. But you know what he said? It's going to get worse. This isn't the last election where there's going to be fraud. And this is not going to be the last time we're going to have, you know, a movement by by governments, by controlling our lives. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But, verse 14, continue thou. And the things which thou hast learned. Continue thou. You know what God says this? Don't change your platform. Don't change your worship. Don't change your music. Don't change your standards. Don't change your preaching. Don't change your Bible. Don't change your church. You don't have to. Why? Because he says, continue thou in the things which thou hast heard. Our problem is not change. Our problem is we need to continue. We live in a day and age people quit so easily. They quit church. They quit their marriages. They quit their fellowship. They quit this. They quit that. They quit their friends. Listen, this is the time not to quit. This is not a time to throw in the towel. This is the time to stay in the thing for God. 
Abiding in Him emphasizes our walk with God. Listen, the basic summation of everything. If we're going to have a church that's strong for God, it's not just strong preaching. It's going to be every one of us having a holy walk with God. So don't stray from your fellowship. Number two, look at verse 28 again. Don't stray from being faultless. Because you know what happened? As we get to verse 28, they were slipping. They weren't as on guard about their Christian life. He says, and that when he shall appear. Yeah, the Antichrist is coming, but there's another coming. Amen? We may have confidence. We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him. It's coming. You know what he's saying here? When Jesus comes, don't let it be a surprise to you. When Jesus comes, don't have any regrets. Don't be caught somewhere where you're not supposed to be or someone you're not supposed to be with. Faultless. Every believer is accepted at his coming, but not every believer is acceptable at his coming. Every believer is accepted at his coming, but not every believer will be acceptable at his coming. There will not be ashamed. There will be embarrassment at the rapture. There will be shame at the rapture. Some Christian took a drink they shouldn't have taken. Some Christian got off on the side in some addictive behavior they should not have been in. Don't stray from being faultless. Look at verse 29. Don't stray from being fervent. If you know that he is righteous, he's talking about Jesus Christ. You know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Don't stray from your fellowship. Don't stray from being faultless. Don't stray from being fervent. Doing righteousness. Matthew 6.33. Doing the will of God. Righteousness. The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Study the word righteous and righteousness all through Proverbs. You'll learn what righteousness is. Jesus Christ is the Lord our righteousness. He's Jehovah's Sitkanu. I mean righteousness. Be fervent. Be fervent on God. Get on fire for God. Hey, on the way out, take some tracks with you. Amen? Put some tracks in some doors this week. Don't wait for Saturday. Put some tracks in some doors. Go on and tell some people about Jesus. Amen? Let me give you this thought. It's not in your outline, but I'm going to give you this thought. Don't stray from having faith. In Proverbs 24, he says this. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I'm finding a growing number of believers are fainting in the day of adversity. Now, I'm going to tell you, adversity is not nice. And it's not easy. It's an uncomfortable feeling. It's a pressure cooker moment. You wake up in the morning like you don't want to get out of bed. Your nights are long. Your mornings are difficult. You feel like the world's against you. You feel like God is not there. And you're in fear and trembling and all those kind of things. But I'm going to tell you tonight, the Bible says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Man, I encourage you tonight, if you're in the mood of quitting, don't quit. If you're about in the place you're going to throw in the towel, don't throw in the towel. If you're saying, I'm not sure I want to be a Baptist, don't, get rid of that thought. You want to be a Baptist because Baptist is Bible and Bible is Baptist. 
You want to stay in the word of God. You want to stay in church. You say, well, what if they have another lockdown? Let them lock down. He's still Lord. Amen. He's still Lord. Okay. I'm just telling you tonight. We, we have to decide tonight that if it's the last hour, if it's the last hour, we better be fervent for Jesus Christ. I mean, to have anything less than fervency for Jesus Christ is against the Bible because he said we're a peculiar people that should be zealous of good works for Jesus Christ. And then notice as we close, look at verse 25. Don't forget about your future. And this is the promise. That's wonderful because he's dealing with people that had an eternal security problem. He says, and this is the promise that he has promised us even eternal life. Don't forget you're going to heaven. Amen. Don't forget that you're saved. Don't forget you have eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Don't forget that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Don't forget that you have everlasting life. Don't forget your future. Your future is set. Your future is secure. You have Jesus, Savior. It can't get any worse because Jesus is going to take you home one day. Amen. And so tonight as we close, we see that spirit of Antichrist. The satanic agents. We have the spirit abiding God's Holy Spirit who indwells us, who instructs us, who gives us insight. He says, yeah, there's a, the Antichrist shall come, but there's another coming that's more important. Don't focus on the Antichrist now. Focus on the real Christ. He's coming. He's coming. When he shall appear. Can you imagine John saying that with such certainty? Can you imagine him saying that with such assurance and such dogmaticness and such a heart, just like, man, Jesus could come any moment. And when he shall appear, he said, when he shall appear, that we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. Jesus is coming soon. Strategic admonition. Stay in the fellowship. Don't strain the fellowship. Don't stray from the fellowship. Don't stray from being fervent. Don't stray from being faultless. Don't forget about your future. Are you saved tonight? Jesus came in the next 60 minutes. You know for sure you're going to heaven. Jesus loves us. He's coming again.